Well, we're going to shift things up a little bit with the Christmas season and jump back to Luke chapter 1. We've actually been in this long-term study through Luke for some time now. We began a couple of Christmases ago, and uh, this Sunday I want us to jump back as we had, we had skipped over some verses when Christmas time came that first time through in the book of Luke to get really to the heart of the Christmas message, but uh, that means we, we skipped over a little bit more of Luke chapter 1, uh, in particular uh, verses 57 to the end of chapter 1. And so I want to take us back to Luke chapter 1 today to share with you a message that I've titled, The Mercy That Makes Us Merry. Now, as we're kind of collecting our thoughts around this, I just want you to think, all right? Think to yourself here for a moment. I want you to fill in the blank on this statement. It doesn't really feel like Christmas is here for me until blank. I think the reality is we've all got certain traditions, we've all got certain things, we've all got certain expectations of what's going to be happening before we can really feel like we're in the midst of the Christmas season. Some of you might say, for example, it it doesn't really feel like Christmas is here for me until that star is hung up on top of the Christmas tree or until I've finished wrapping the final present or until Grandma makes a loaf of her famous fruitcake as a child growing up in the 80s I can remember a few Christmas staples that I look forward to in the Parker home every year for example my childhood family and I used to watch the movie White Christmas probably a total of five or more times every Christmas season so it really didn't feel like Christmas had arrived for me until I had seen Bob Wallace and Phil Davis and the Haynes sisters tap around with General Waverly squeezing into his old army uniform, all right? And my parents used to have this old vinyl record player in their bedroom, and along with a couple of classic Christmas kind of vinyl uh, records that we would play, Gene Autry and, and Bing Crosby. And we had a, they had a water bed at the time. So I remember it wasn't really Christmas. It didn't really feel like Christmas had arrived for us until we had put on Gene Autry singing Here Comes Santa Claus and danced around on the heated water bed. Then we also had a wooden manger set. It was one of those that was sort of like some of us guys in here and that every year it would lose half of the straw that it had left. And it didn't really feel like Christmas until Mary and Joseph were stationed beside their newborn infant who already knew how to smile, even though he had just come out of his mother's womb somehow miraculously. And, and while, the, while the wise men were stationed coming from a land far away that was really only six inches away. At, at my grandparents' house, there was an old plastic Santa on his sleigh with about six of eight reindeer still intact which my grandmother would then hang up from the ceiling every Christmas close to, the, close to the Christmas tree. And it really didn't feel like Christmas had arrived at my grandparents' house until the fat man was flying his six deer-powered sleigh. And for my kids now, I would have to guess that the real sign that Christmas has arrived would be that the tree is up and that we've all gathered around to watch Will Ferrell squeezed into an elf suit, chewing gum off of the subway entrance railing and telling the guy in the next bathroom stall that these toilets are ginormous. As every year we have made a tradition out of watching the Christmas movie Elf. Well, as we enter into today's passage in Luke chapter 1, we encounter God setting the stage for the very first Christmas. And in today's passage, and in the song from one of its key characters that follows, God puts the final pieces in place. After these events, everything is ready for Christmas to begin on that very first Christmas day. And over 400 years before the events of this passage we encounter today, God had promised through his prophet Malachi that what we see transpiring in this passage would in fact happen. Malachi was the final prophet that God had used to speak in what we know as the Old Testament. And through Malachi, God had revealed in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 through 6, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. 
He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. And in today's passage, the promised prophet now arrives as John the Baptist, as we have come to know him, was born. In fact, an angel has already appeared to John's father back in chapter 1, verse 11, verses 11 through 20, and that angel, Gabriel, has now announced that this child will go as a forerunner before the Lord. And he specifically uses this language, which ties it back to that passage from Malachi 4, as he says, this child will go as a forerunner before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Once this child, once this great prophet, this baby who is being born is born, once this activity is complete, everything in God's timeline will be ready for the first Christmas. But if we could kind of really peel back the layers of time, if we we could really take a look to see the individuals who were engaged in this story, involved in the final Christmas preparation of the Lord, at the outset of this passage we might get the idea that they're not headed for a very merry Christmas. Because it's kind of, as Luke turns the spotlight back to them, as, as, he, as he turns the spotlight, we encounter this elderly couple whose names are Zacharias and Elizabeth. Luke's already kind of focused on them for a moment, but he turns his attention to Mary. Then Mary went down and stayed with Elizabeth for a number of months and but, but now we kind of got the spotlight back exclusively on Zacharias and Elizabeth. And we're, and we're not told their exact age. But Luke has told us back in verse 7 that these two individuals, Zacharias and Elizabeth, are both advanced in years. And the wording that Luke uses here suggests that they're somewhere in their 50s or in their 60s or in their 70s or maybe even older. So just kind of take an average of that. Imagine a couple in their 60s. And even though Elizabeth was previously barren, now at this older advanced age, Luke describes how she is pregnant. And in the final stages of her pregnancy, her baby is about to be born. Now, those final stages of pregnancy can be miserable for a woman in her 20s. I know because I've been around a woman in her 20s who was going through those final stages of pregnancy. How much more miserable must they have been for a woman who is advanced in years? And on top of that, her husband, Zacharias, has been struck with this malady that has ultimately left him unable to speak and perhaps even unable to hear. So coming into this passage, we encounter a couple who has very much that's uncomfortable about their lives. They have very much that they could be griping about. But by the end of this passage, they are not griping. They are praising. They are rejoicing together as they have been used by God as his instruments to put the final touches on his preparations for the first Christmas. And there is no doubt that by the end of this passage, Zacharias and Elizabeth are filled with merriness that leads them to rejoicing and to praising God. It's a contagious sort of merriness that spreads to those who are around them. And the key differentiator for them appears to be that they have encountered through this experience God's great mercy. And God's mercy makes them merry. As we go through this special year, time of year, together, I wonder, are you merry? Are you happy? Are you joyful? Are you rejoicing in this Christmas season? Is there a wellspring of joy within you that causes you to be celebrating and rejoicing? Because if we're not careful, we can all find ourselves during the Christmas season Living with unrealistic expectations, living with ill-placed hopes that will leave us stressed or depressed as the season of Christmas rolls along. And if our hopes for this season are set on the wrong things, such as whether our traditions go according to our plans or whether our family members act right 
or whether we get those gifts that we were gunning for, we may just find ourselves short on the merriness that makes for a true Merry Christmas. And that's why I want to turn our attention to the mercy that makes us merry by this example of Zacharias and Elizabeth today. Because this husband and wife are determined to build their merriness upon the mercy of God. And they found a sure source of merriness in that process that did not leave them disappointed. And so that's instructive for all of us. Likewise, if you will set your hope upon the abundant mercy of God on display through his work in Christmas, you will find true merriness that will not disappoint you this Christmas season. So find your way to Luke chapter 1. Let's stand together and let's honor the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 57. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. And it happened that on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father, but his mother answered and said, No, indeed, but he shall be called John and they said to her there is no one among your relatives who is called by that name and they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him called and he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows his name is John and they were all astonished and at once his mouth was open and his tongue loosed and he began to speak in praise of God fear came on all those living around them And all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. All who heard them kept them in mind saying, What then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. Here ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. This passage is a pretty straightforward sort of passage. It doesn't take a lot of explanation from me for you to understand kind of the idea of what's going on here. Elizabeth and Zacharias give birth to their son, and they give him a name that is unique for their family. And, and as they do that, there's this event that happens where Zacharias, who's previously been unable to speak, is suddenly and miraculously enabled to speak. And boy, does he speak. But we'll focus on those words at a later date. For now, we simply want to note that by the time we leave this short passage, everyone is merry. Everyone is anticipating the good things that Christmas brings. Unless we think this merriness is all about some set of coincidental sort of circumstances, Luke reminds us in a number of ways as we go through this passage that God's mercy is the source of the lasting merriness that all the individuals who we encounter in this passage experience. And really, that's where the rubber meets the road for all of us as we go through this Christmas season, as we prepare for the arrival of that great day of celebration. In fact, as we kind of dig into this passage a little deeper, I want to share with you now from this passage five ways to find merriness in the mercy of Christmas. Five ways just to find merriness in the mercy of Christmas. Here's the first one. Trust in the Lord, for he is true to his word. That's certainly the lesson that Zecharias and Elizabeth learned in these moments as this baby was born. God had made a promise through the angel Gabriel back in verse 13. As the angel of the Lord had announced, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And now God was delivering on his promise. At the same time, he was delivering on his promise to his people, Israel, that a prophet would come to prepare the way for their Messiah. And friends, what what we can kind of summarize, what we can extract from that is this. God delivers on his promises. Because God is always true to his word. 
Zacharias was reluctant to trust in the Lord's promise at first when it came through that angel. You know, he was kind of busy looking at his circumstances. He was looking at at the way things were going in his life. He was looking at his advanced age rather than looking at the power of the Lord. And so he exercised this moment of unbelief as he essentially tried to remind the Lord that the cards were stacked against him by telling the angel back in verse 18, how will I know this for certain? For I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years. And it really, if there was anything that was robbing Zacharias of his merriness leading up to this first Christmas, it was the curse that had been placed upon him because of his unwillingness to trust in the Lord, his unwillingness to find merriness in his mercy. If Zacharias had only considered the power and the trustworthiness of the Lord when when Gabriel had originally appeared, there would be no reason for him to question how God could carry out such a promise that he was making in that moment. Because God will always cause his promises to pass. Yes, you can trust him for he is true to his word. Numbers chapter 23 verse 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie. In his final word to the people that he had led into the conquest, Joshua said to the nation of Israel in Joshua 23, 14, not one word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. All have been fulfilled for you. Not one of them has failed. 1 Kings 8, 56 says, Blessed be the Lord according to all that he has promised. Not one word has failed of all of his good promise. Psalm 89 verse 14 says God in loving kindness says of God loving kindness and truth go before you. Isaiah calls him in Isaiah 65 16 the God of truth. And Paul in Titus 1 2 refers to him as God who cannot lie. The author of Hebrews reveals in Hebrews 6 18 it is impossible for God to lie. And Jesus As he spoke to his heavenly father in John chapter 17, with these words he spoke, your word is truth over and over again. God has proven himself to be faithful. He's proven himself to be truthful. He is true to his word. He says and he does. What he says he will do He will do. And friend, you can trust in him. Even when the circumstances seem bleak, even when the cards appear to be stacked against you, you can trust in him. The God who promises is faithful to carry out his promises. If God wasn't true to his word, then we would be wasting our time by gathering around every week and by opening what he's revealed to us and explaining and trying to apply it to our lives. But if God is true to his word and if he has revealed to us the truth that leads to eternal life, then we have every reason to gather and to hear and to apply those words as we gather together as this body that he's called us to be in the church. And friends, the God of heaven promises salvation to those who call upon him. He promises that whoever comes to him, he will receive. He promises that if you will confess your sins, he will forgive them. He promises that he will forgive those who ask for his forgiveness. He promises heaven to those who trade out their own self-autonomy for him as Lord of grace. He promises strength to the weak he promises wisdom to those who are seeking wisdom he promises riches to the poor he promises answers to prayers of those who cry out to him and i just want to remind you friends trust in the lord for he is true to his word that's the first way to find merriness in the mercy of christmas here's the second rejoice in the lord for he is generous in his mercy as elizabeth gives birth to this baby she realizes that she has found the rich the generous mercy of god in fact back in verse 25 when she was only pregnant she was already rejoicing 
And she said, this is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away the disgrace, my disgrace among men. You see, Elizabeth kind of lived this lifetime of disgrace due to her infertility in a culture that ultimately equated infertility with a curse of God. Not necessarily the way God was acting in that moment, but that's the way the culture saw it. And so what we actually find is that she and her husband were both righteous in the sight of God. They were walking blamelessly in the commandments of God and the requirements of the Lord. That's what we read back in verse 6. But that didn't take away the obvious disgrace that Elizabeth was struggling with in the eyes of her relatives and her neighbors. But in verse 58, after this child is born, her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed great mercy, generous mercy toward her. What's the result? Well, now they're rejoicing with her. You see, when Elizabeth turned her eyes away from her condition and focused on God's mercy, she found reason to trade out the shame and the sadness for rejoicing. You know, I looked up that word mercy in verse 58 in a Bible dictionary, and I found that it means kindness or goodwill toward the miserable and the afflicted, joined with a desire to help them. Isn't that amazing to think that God has kindness and goodwill toward those who are afflicted and miserable? And he joins to that his own personal desire to help them. Did you know that's the heart of the true and living God? As we read in Psalm 86 verse 15, You, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That is, mercy isn't just something that God kind of, you know, occasionally gets a little urge in his stomach to act out. Mercy is a part of his steadfast and his consistent and his faithful nature. He is always full of mercy. He is generous in his mercy. It is always his desire to be kind and to show goodwill towards the miserable and the afflicted. And the wording of verse 58 here, as Luke draws it out, has this subtle way of revealing that this mercy that God was showing in this moment towards Elizabeth was not a new mercy. For the verse says, her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her. That is, They heard that it was displayed. It wasn't that God suddenly started having mercy for this condition of despair that Elizabeth faced. He had always had mercy for her. He was just waiting in his good and his perfect timing to put his mercy on display at the right moment, which happened to be this moment that we've read about here today. Now that's a good word for some of you who might sense that you're in a season of misery or a season of affliction in your life do you know that God is generous in his mercy toward you do you know that he desires to help you and so I ask you are you releasing your misery to him are you praying for his help are you trusting in his timing because that's what you must do if you want divine merriness in the mercy of Christmas that's certainly what Elizabeth found she and her neighbors and her relatives all rejoiced together according to verse 58 in fact that word that that Luke uses to describe their rejoicing here is a compound word comprised of the combination of the word which means kind of with or together and the word which means to rejoice So so the word literally means that they were rejoicing together Elizabeth and her neighbors and her relatives And that word is a word which describes how they've all come together in this time of celebration, this season of rejoicing. God had promised to Zacharias back in verse 14, you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. Here it is, it's it's happening before their eyes. It's, It's being lived out in their very presence. 
You know, many of us celebrate with the birth of a baby, but how much more would we celebrate if this baby we knew had been revealed to us to be one who would point the way to God's rescue plan through the Lord Jesus? But, you know, here's another interesting insight. That word that means rejoice together, it only appears three times in Luke's gospel. The first is here. The other two are in the parables that we've looked at over the last few weeks regarding the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin, where when those items, those one items that were lost become found, there is rejoicing together. There is a call, rejoice with me over this great celebration, for I have found that which was lost, echoing the heart of God in that when he goes after the one, there is rejoicing that he calls for all of us to participate in. There's rejoicing among the angels of heaven over one sinner who repents. And so here we see yet another instance of this call to rejoice together. And once again, it's related and tied to God's grand display of salvation, God's grand display to win men and women, boys and girls back to himself. And so I say, if Elizabeth and Zacharias could find something to celebrate in the birth of a baby boy who would be a great prophet, how much more has God displayed his mercy toward us through his heart that persistently pursues us and has caused his own son to come after us that he might rejoice when we are restored to him It's one thing to take away an individual's disgrace before men, which the birth of this child did for Elizabeth, but it's an entirely different and an entirely more wonderful thing to take away an individual's disgrace before God, which is what the Lord Jesus has come to do for me and you. And listen, this baby wasn't born as a display of God's promise to cure infertility. This baby was born as a display of God's promise to cure the disease of sin. This baby came to point us to a redeemer who would cure our fall from grace, who would restore us to the God who made us and who longs for us. So if Elizabeth and Zacharias and their neighbors and their relatives could rejoice together, not yet knowing how those promises would be played out in God's cosmic plan to save the world, how much more should you and I rejoice with the full knowledge of all that God has done in Christ to reconcile us to himself? Rejoice in the Lord. For he is generous in his mercy. That's the second way to find merriness in the mercy of Christmas. Here's the third. Obey the Lord. For he is known for his grace. That's the lesson that plays out in this somewhat extended episode that we find in verses 59 through 63. By this time... Eight days have passed and Zacharias and Elizabeth are now taking their newborn son to be circumcised according to the law of Moses. Now custom required that a a number of individuals would gather around as witnesses to this act of cutting away the baby's foreskin as a way of setting this baby aside and showing that this is a member of God's chosen people, God's nation, God's kingdom of priests known as the nation of Israel. The witnesses were there to testify that this child's parents had obeyed God's commands and that this child was now becoming a legitimate member of this blessed nation. And there wasn't any sort of requirement that a child had to be named on the eighth day, on the day of his circumcision, according to God's law. But by this time, many individuals had adopted that practice. Now, apparently, those who had gathered to witness the circumcision thought that they could kind of, you know, automatically do the math. They thought that they could determine what the child's name would be. They essentially said, you know, this child should be a junior. This should be Zach Jr. 
We're, we're going to find a way to, to make sure that we name this, this child Zacharias, just like his dad, so, so we can honor his dad. Now, you know, that wasn't a common practice, we should note. It was actually common to name the baby after its grandfather, but not after his father. But Zacharias was advanced in years by this point. He was essentially the age of a grandfather. And so his friends and his relatives who kind of gathered around say, hey, let's honor Zacharias. This poor fellow can't talk, so we'll take the lead for him. Let's name this baby after him. I mean, what an honor that will be. The gift of God can be named after his own dad. I mean, what an honor for his dad. What dad wouldn't want a gift of God, you know, revealed in this miraculous sort of way to be named after him? And so verse 59 says they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. But, you know, this, they must have been a little bit shocked because they're trying to honor Zacharias, but Elizabeth steps in and puts an end to that. Verse 60, she says, verse 60 says, but his mother answered and said, no, indeed. That's a very strong negative in the original Greek. It's kind of uh, equivalent to our English way of saying no way, by no means. She said, no, indeed, but he shall be called John. Now, this is quite the contentious baby shower here, I want you to know. Elizabeth must have wondered if she'd sent the wrong crowd to Target to pick up items off of the baby registry because they get a little bit argumentative with her in verse 61. And they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who is called by that name. And I'm sure Elizabeth must have thought in this moment, you know, you really ought to put down those pastel blue cupcakes and hightail it out of here. But instead, these individuals who want to name the baby decide to go over Elizabeth's head to her husband. And so we read in verse 62 that they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him to be called. Now, back in verse 18, Zacharias had questioned God's announcement that he would have a child in his old age, and he essentially said, are you sure you folks have got the right address? I mean, Gabriel, I think you came to the wrong place here. You came to the house of some older folks, and old folks don't have babies. And that was the wrong thing for Zacharias to do, questioning God's power to carry out his work. I've already mentioned that. Zacharias had been dealing with the consequences of his lack of faith since that very moment nine months of it in fact the angel's response that he got back in verses 19 and 20 was this i am gabriel who stands in the presence of god and i have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news and behold you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Since that time, since Zacharias, in unbelief, questioned whether God could carry this work out, he has been unable to speak. And they have, he, he, he may not have been able to hear as well because we read in verse 62 that those who are going over Elizabeth's head to her husband Zacharias made signs to his father. Not necessarily a sign language sort of thing. It could have just been a nod. But they made signs to his father as to what he wanted his son, his newborn son, to be called. And we learned a bit about how Zacharias had learned to get by for the past six months because he calls for a tablet so that he can write what he wants to communicate. He can't speak, but he can still write. And so he calls for his tablet. And we're not told whether it's an iPad or an Android but in my development work, I'm a, a Microsoft guy, so i got to assume it was probably a Microsoft tablet that he had brought to him. Not really. This tablet would have been a flat piece of wood that had wax spread over it so that when, when Zacharias took it, he could carve into it whatever message he wanted to carve, and you could kind of see it through the wax. If he wanted to erase that, he'd just smooth the wax back in place on the tablet so that he could write whatever he wanted to write next. And so... On this tablet, according to verse 63, Zacharias wrote as follows. His name is John. And they were all astonished. 
By the way, the name Zechariah means remembered of Jehovah or remembered of the Lord, if you will. But John has a different sort of meaning. The name John means Jehovah is a gracious giver. The Lord is a gracious giver. And we see kind of even in the names of these individuals, this gospel story coming to pass. God has not remembered God has not forgotten his people. He's remembered them. And because Jehovah has remembered, Zechariah now has a son. And God is gracious. By his grace, he is now appointing this messenger who will point the way to the Messiah such that when Jesus appears, he will be the one who will, who will proclaim, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. By the way, this name John is the name that was given by Gabriel to Zacharias so that he might name his baby back in verse 13. The name ultimately comes to the Lord. As the angel said to Zacharias, do not be afraid, Zacharias, but your petition has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will give him the name John. You see, Zacharias had learned his lesson. He was now a man of a strong and a steady faith. He had experienced the consequences of unbelief, and now he was experiencing the blessings of God's mercy. And this time, this time he found his way to the merriness of Christmas by obeying the Lord. And friends, let me just tell you, you'll never be more happy. You'll never be more blessed you'll never be more content and safe and protected than you will be when you are in the center of God's will for your life obeying his commands you see God's commands to you and me are not meant to be a drudgery for us they direct us toward his mercy and his mercy makes us merry So in this moment, Zechariah chose obedience over personal honor. And he found that to be the most appropriate path to a merry Christmas. But in order to get there, he had to overcome his own selfish pride. He couldn't in that moment say, I'm going to name this child, this special representative of God after myself. He had to overcome his own pride. He also had to overcome the pressure of these family members, these friends. And all friends, how often do either of those two extremes draw us away from the will of God? Our own selfish pride, which says, oh man, I really want to go. I really want to earn the glory for myself. Or, or the pull of the crowd, which says, oh, just come on, just this one time. It's just a Christmas party. Nobody's going to know anything about this afterwards. Just, just come on, join what everybody else is doing. How often are we pulled by those two extremes into something other than the will of God? But that's not Zacharias in this moment. He's learned that obedience is greater than sacrifice. And so he comes in this moment. He comes with a willing and obedient sort of spirit. And he does what God has called him to do. Naming this child as God has called him to name it. And Luke, under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God, really kind of goes to great lengths to draw our attention into this episode of the naming of this child. And again, that name is Jehovah is a gracious giver. The Lord is a gracious giver. That's the emphasis of this whole dilemma, this whole dispute over what the child's name should be. God wanted everyone to know that through this child, he was going to give grace not just to this family but to the entire world to you and to me he has given us grace by ultimately the one whom this child would point to the lord jesus christ but listen this episode this extended episode this naming episode where god draws us to the fact that he is gracious through the name john only scratches the surface on the great links that God was going to in order to reveal His grace to you and to me. 
Because as this child pointed to the Savior, that Savior would be God himself coming to show grace. That Savior would be God himself taking on flesh. That would be God himself coming to be mocked, to be cursed, to be spat upon, to be abused, to suffer our sorrows, to be acquainted with our griefs. God himself was coming to show that he is gracious because he gave himself on the cross of Calvary so that you could be redeemed. And the grace of God is so richly on display. This little naming episode is just just a hint of something so much richer that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I say to you, obey the Lord for He has known for His grace. That's the third way to find merriness in the mercy of Christmas. Here's the fourth. Worship the Lord for He is worthy of praise. Now I just want you to think here for a moment. If your mouth was sealed up for nine months, but you were suddenly and miraculously enabled to speak, what would you say? What words that you had not been able to speak would you be longing to speak? Would you miss at all the opportunity to praise the Lord? You know, some of us don't have our mouths bound now. We don't have our tongues bound, and yet we still don't take the opportunity to praise him. But when Zacharias experienced the mercy of God as a mute man, he longed to do something that he was not able to do. So when his mouth was opened, when his tongue was loosed, according to verse 64, he began to speak in praise of God. Zacharias just let loose. He didn't care who else was around. He didn't care who was listening. He just went on and he had a little worship service all to himself. And the result of that was a praise. And and ultimately what was kind of used in the early church, we believe, is a prophetic song that starts in verse 67. We're not going to cover that today, but you, you should just know that when Zacharias had been kept silent, he was busting at the seams, hoping to worship God, what a pathway to merriness. Do you want to have a merry Christmas? Worship the Lord, for he is worthy of praise. Zacharias was a more mature believer now. He knew more about God because he had experienced more of what God could do. And you know, I find that to be true in my own life as well. The more I know about our merciful God, The more I experience his mercy, the more I long to praise him. Now, I know that I'm not very good at playing the guitar. I know that my voice is not suitable for entertainment venues. But oh, how I want to worship the Lord. I mean, just think of what he's done for me. He has redeemed me. He has ransomed me. He has forgiven me. He has invited me into his eternal banquet. He has called me his child. He has greeted me on my way home with the fatted calf and the royal robe and the golden ring. In summary, he has come after me the way the good shepherd goes after his one lost sheep, leaving the 99 behind. And I just want to praise him. I just want to lift him up. I just wanted to exalt him for who he is and the mercy that he's shown into my life. A poor, wretched sinner that I am. That's grace, my friends. And I just say, to him be all the glory. Let the eternal glory score be Jeremy zero, God infinite glory. He deserves it all. And I just ask you, do you want to praise him? Are you often found in worship, both publicly and privately? Let me encourage you, in the midst of this busy Christmas season, take time to read God's Word. Take time to encounter His mercy that He bestows. Don't let the hustle and the bustle of presents and gatherings and shopping and wrapping drown out your habits of prayer and praise. Let the good news of God's work in Christmas cause you to speak and to sing and praise to him. You'll find true merriness in his mercy as you do. 
Worship the Lord, for he is worthy of praise. That's the fourth way to find merriness in the mercy of Christmas. Here's the final way. Talk about the Lord, for he is with his people. The merriness of mercy that Zechariah and Elizabeth had found was contagious. They made it evident in their words as they talked about the Lord to their friends and to their relatives. And that merriness caught on as we read in verse 65. Fear came upon all those living around them. That is a fear that's a reverence, a fear that, that understands that God is doing something. And man, I better get my life together. I better, I better put my focus on the Lord. Fear came on all those living around them and all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. That is the good news of a merciful God was going out. His fame was increasing because the recipients of this mercy were not being selfish with the mercy they had received. They were making him known to everyone else. And the anticipation about what God was about to do just kind of grew and grew and grew. That's what we read in verse 66. All who heard them kept them in mind, saying, what then will this child turn out to be? What is it that captured their imagination? It was this, the, this sudden appearance of some miracles that they were not expecting. Suddenly a mute man had begun to speak. Suddenly an older lady had become pregnant. And all of that led to this undeniable fact that the hand of the Lord was with this child. But listen, nobody would have known of the great mercy that the Lord had displayed toward Elizabeth and Zacharias if they had kept their Christmas celebration to themselves. If they had locked themselves at home and given birth and enjoyed the eggnog and the holly and all of that to themselves, there would be no buzz around town resulting in the God of mercy being glorified in the way that he deserves to be glorified. But they knew that the hand of the Lord was certainly with this child. So they didn't hesitate to share the news and to increase the Lord's fame. And friends, let me, let me just remind you that with his final words before he ascended back into heaven, Jesus gave us all a commission. We've all been called to go and make disciples of all the nations. We're all called to talk about the Lord and to increase the fame of the God of mercy. And here's the good news. God goes with us in that work. Jesus says, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So as we seek to find and to form and to fire and to fill and to flow out disciples of Christ to the glory of God, multiplying his glory on the earth, we should know that we do so with the hand of the Lord upon us. We do that with his favor upon us. His hand is upon each and every one of you who have called upon him as Lord. In fact, Jesus says in John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Furthermore, he says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. So just like this little blessed baby, just like this baby named John, if you have heard, if you have responded to the good shepherd's voice, his hand is upon you. And so there is no need to fear as you go and try to make his glory made known there is no fear as you as you strive to go and to talk about him to to bring his glory into the magnification that he deserves no one will snatch you away and so i just kind of close with this thought is god's hand of mercy upon you because you'll never experience the merriness of god's mercy in this Christmas season, if you never yield your life to him, if his hand never comes upon you because you've, you've ultimately said, I'm going to take this mercy, I'm going to receive this grace, not, not by anything you could earn on your own. None of us could earn it. 
That's what makes grace, grace. It's a free gift. God ultimately just freely gives you out of his great love a grace through Christ which has paid the penalty of your sins and offers for you now eternal life because Jesus has stood in your place. Jesus has borne the condemnation that you deserve. Jesus has gone to the grave in the place where you should have been and God has shown that he wants to win you back by taking him out of the grave, by raising him to true life. And God says, ultimately, if you'll place your faith in me, if you'll trust in this representative that I've sent for you, if you'll give your life to Christ, if you'll follow him, then I'll give you the same life that I've given to him. He's the first fruits of those who will come after him. By faith, simply by trusting in him, simply by saying, look, Lord, I'm going to yield my life into your hands. Let your hand be upon me. Have you done that? Is that that your testimony? Because without that, you'll never experience the the ultimate merriness of God's mercy. And so I just want us all to bow our heads in this moment and to contemplate. God, where where are we forsaking the the, the mercy that you've shown to us that would offer to us a, a merriness? God, I just pray that through this Christmas season, through this time when we reflect upon the greatest missionary who ever lived in Jesus, that we would, we would be reminded of your mercy, O oh Lord. We, we would be reminded for your heart for the afflicted, for your heart for those who are downtrodden. And Father, if that's us, if there are individuals who are here today among this number, who have not yet received your grace, who have not yet come and yielded their life to Christ, God, I just pray you'd, you'd draw them by the power of your Spirit to, to yield their lives to you now. Lord, there's nothing magical about a prayer, you know, but it's the faith behind a prayer. But if you would be drawing someone in that sort of state to yourself now, Lord, I just pray you'd, you'd draw them to say, Lord, I, I entrust my life to you. I give my life to Jesus. I I ask you, Lord, to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to give me a new hope. I ask you to give me a new purpose. Give me new life. Because, God, I know you'll honor that request. I know it is in your nature to be merciful. I know that you are a God of grace. And so, Father, I just pray that if anyone's here today who needs to trust in Jesus, you would compel them in their hearts to say, I'm giving my life to Jesus. Let me be made new. Let me be found redeemed. Let me receive rich mercy through him. And then for those of us who've already made that decision, oh Lord, as we think of your mercy, as we contemplate on what you've done, oh Lord, let us be about your mission. Let us be about making your name known. Let us be about drawing others in and multiplying your glory here on the earth. God, help us not to be the sorts of individuals who celebrate this Christmas joy all to ourselves, but cause us each one, Lord, to find the opportunities to magnify your mercy, magnify your praise, to live in a life of worship, the one who's granted everything to us in spite of who we are. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.